0: Okay, so the hymn that I want to start with is Hymn 334, okay? I have a lot of books here today, so it's going to take me, I'll have to... 334, this, uh, just a, one thing to, to note before we begin. Um, as you're looking at the hymnal, you ever look at this stuff that's down at the bottom of the page? Okay, um, it tells you it tells you a couple things. So if you're looking at down at the bottom of the page, um, it says text. This is the really small print. The text was written by Paul Gerhardt, and you and it gives you the years of Paul Gerhardt's life. So 1607 to 1676 so you know and usually when a hymn when the guy has a or the or the or the girl has a german last name like gerhardt and uh the years of his or her life are in the 16th or in the 1600s you know that this is a kind of classic lutheran hymn Um, in the century or two after the lutheran reformation uh, more hymns were written during that time than pretty much any other time during the history of the christian church and the lutherans had a huge hand in doing that so the fact that people uh in many traditions sing a lot in church today is in part due to this what happened in the reformation um before the reformation there was not a lot of there was not at least in the western church, in in the medieval church, there was not a lot of congregational singing, okay? You had choirs, you had professional singers, you had chanting, but the congregation, the people, did not sing all that much. Um, And that's one of the major things that the Lutheran Reformation wanted to change because the conviction was that by singing these things, you're actually, the people are actually, by singing them, they're actually, we're actually putting these things, joining these things through music to our hearts and minds and really joining them to our hearts, okay? This is one of the ways that the Lutheran Reformation saw that we can get God's word and and Christian teaching into the hearts and minds of the people is by having all of us sing it together, okay? So, and um, so you got to, You got a German here, Paul Gerhardt, uh, writing during this time when the Lutherans, after the Reformation, are writing tons and tons of hymns. Um, You can also notice the little TR that says the Lutheran hymnal. So that's the one that Laurie has over there. That's when it was first translated into English, okay, in 1941. And then it gives you information about who wrote the tune, the name of the tune, which, of course, is a German name. And then there's an alternate tune, and etc. Okay, so that's just... Um, this particular one, O oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You, is um, it's probably, in my opinion, I think it's the it's, it's one of the best... Hymns that really gets at what Advent is about, from the perspective of us. What is there's a couple that I really like, and we're going to look at them today. But what it what are we actually? What does it mean for us to have to celebrate Advent? Okay, to wait for Jesus to come. Okay, um, and so as we go through this, we're going to get. A lot of the main ideas, the main kind of spiritual ideas of Advent, kind of the kind of the piety and the spirituality of Advent, is really, you know, it's it's on display here in this in this uh, in this particular hymn. Um, so I'm going to start off here. I'm going to read the first two stanzas, and then I'm going to stop and talk about them, and then. Um, we will, and then we're going to, the, the place in the Bible we'll be looking at is Matthew, uh, it's Matthew 25, basically. Matthew 25, and then also, yeah, I don't know, you can, in the, Ma, in Matthew, the, in the 20s, okay, we're going to bounce back and forth in there, okay? Um, so stanzas one and two. O Lord, how shall I meet you, how welcome you aright? Your people long to greet you, my hope, my heart's delight. O kindle, Lord most holy, your lamp within my breast, to do in spirit lowly, all that may please you best. Your Zion strews before you green boughs and fairest palms, and I too will adore you with joyous songs and psalms. My heart shall bloom forever for you with praises new, and from your name shall never withhold the honor due. Okay, so um, that first stanza, uh, it's, you know, it starts out saying, okay, we're waiting for the Lord to come, and we're asking ourselves, how shall we meet him when he comes? And the place to look first is Matthew 25. There is a There's a reference here to something that we've just read recently in the church. So in Matthew 25, Jesus has, uh, and the this Matthew 25 is the chapter that we read like at the end of the church year. Okay, it has the it has the parable. Of the ten, we can say bridesmaids—that's what we call them today—and um, then it has the the sheep and the goats, the last judgment scene. Okay, and then actually between them, it has the story of the talents, which is another end. And all three of these parables that Jesus ha- has—right, the the ten bridesmaids—we talked about that quite a bit last time. And then that was a couple Sundays ago. And then the sheep and the goats was another Sunday ago. And the story of the talents, that's the one where um, the master goes away and he leaves his servants with some money. And two of them are smart with the money and invest it. And the other one goes and buries it. And when the master comes back, there's a big discussion about that. Okay. Um all of these story all of these parables that Jesus tells are they're parables of the of the end, the end times, the last judgment, the last coming, okay and um, so, in this first stanza, it says, O Lord, how shall I meet you? How welcome you aright, your people long to greet you, my hope, my heart's delight okay that is a that is so. Advent, we're going to have to put this up here. Advent, okay, it means something like, it's from Latin, it means coming into something like that, where it, it's, the, it's the, the time period in the church here where we reflect on our Lord's coming into our world, okay? And there's really three ways that that Uh, that he comes into the world, okay? Obviously, there's a connection between Advent and Christmas, okay? So, on March 25th, we celebrate the Annunciation when Mary becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit with the Christ child, okay? And then as we're getting into Advent, it's the last four weeks before, you know, it's, it's nine months between annunciation March 25th and Christmas December 25th so it's the last 4 weeks of Mary's pregnancy so to speak so we're getting ready for him to come into the world at Christmas but we're also thinking about when he comes again at the end right that's going to be a big theme in all of these advent songs as Christ will come again at the end so you'll see you'll see in an, in advent songs that it goes back and forth between these two ideas, okay? And then also Christ comes to us now, like today. And that's going to be, you can say that's in Holy Communion, okay? And you can also say into our heart, okay? So these three ideas, that Christ came to us at Christmas, he will come again at the end, and that he comes to us now these ideas are going to be kind of all mixed together, okay? So, um, alright, so, Matthew 25. So this is the, um, the, the, the parable of the ten bridesmaids, and the difference between the two bridesmaids, the two sets of bridesmaids, one, is, one set is wise, one set is foolish, and what's the difference? What do the wise ones do that the foolish ones don't? What's that? Yeah, they bring extra oil for their lamps. Okay, and so you kind of see a reference to that right here in uh, stanza one. It says, O kindle, Lord most holy, your lamp within my breast to, to do in spirit lowly, All that may please you best, okay? So in this first stanza, the first verse, technically they're called stanzas, but we call them verses. First verse, we are putting ourselves in the position of those bridesmaids, right? Who are waiting for the groom, waiting for Christ to come. And we're actually praying as we're waiting for him to come. And wondering how we shall meet him when he comes. We are asking him to um, kindle that lamp, okay, within us, that lamp of faith and hope and love within us so that we can do and be ready for him when he comes, okay? And then the scene switches when we go into stanza two, okay? The scene switches to, you can turn back here to Matthew chapter 21, So Matthew chapter 21, I'll, we'll, I'll just I'll read that. And this was just um, this story, not from Matthew, but this story was the story for is is the gospel story for the first Sunday of Advent. Okay. So it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphagee to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Hosanna in the highest! And he entered, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, "Who is this?" And the crowd said, "This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee." Okay, so um, this story actually gets told twice every year. Okay, it gets told at the beginning of Advent. And then it also gets told on what we call Palm Sunday, the last Sunday of Lent, okay? So, and also this story gets told every time we celebrate Holy Communion, okay? And we'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but um, what we have to do for the Advent understanding of so this story has two kind of two understand meanings okay that we one is that jesus is coming to his city the lord is coming to his people this is what the prophet says right uh it says this is all to fulfill what the prophet says say to the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you okay so this is a it starts out as this joyful occasion of the lord the king coming to his city, okay? Coming in humbly, but coming in also to be the king, okay? And then there's another aspect of the story that we know that he is coming actually to die, okay? So when we look at this story in Advent, we're focusing on this, He's come, the king is coming to his city, Okay. And we kind of got to put out of our heads for a minute or at least for a couple months not completely but the aspect that he's coming in as a lamb led to the slaughter to die and rise that is a different that's lent, okay? So when we're in Advent we're thinking about that uh, we're thinking about what the prophet says that we are now God's people, we are Zion and Christ comes to us, okay? So it's this, he is coming into the city aspect that we are, we're focusing on, okay? So, and this is, okay, and then, now that we got that straight, um, so this is, this is, uh, this story is this, captures this idea of what Advent is really all about, okay? We are getting ready for the king to come into, to come to us. We're getting ready for it to celebrate his coming at Christmas. We're getting ready to prepare. We're preparing for his coming at the end of all things. And we are preparing for the way that he comes to us now, into our hearts through his word, into our midst in, in Holy Communion. All of these things, uh, this, so this story of Jesus riding into the city in Advent means all of these things at once, okay? And you're gonna, we're going to see this, some, a lot of this right here in, in this hymn, okay? So, stanza two, it says, uh, Your Zion, that is the city of God, okay, um, Jerusalem, but now it's us. Okay. Your Zion strews before you green boughs and fairest palms, and I too will adore you with joyous songs and psalms. So this is getting ready for Christ to come. We are joining ourselves into the crowd that is greeting Jesus when he comes. Okay? My heart shall bloom forever for you with praises new, and from your name shall never withhold the honor due. Okay? So, notice, and this is, this is a, like, hymns work by poetry. They don't always work by, you can't, like, put this into a spreadsheet and make this all line up rationally. You know, I know, Tom, you love a good spreadsheet, and so do I. But this is, this is poetry. So, notice, it says, Zion strews before you green boughs and fairest palms. So, so the, 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 Christ's, God's city is using plants, palms, and uh, tree boughs to welcome their king into the city, okay? Then it says, my heart shall bloom forever, okay? So now, what it's saying is, my heart is that holy city, so to speak, where I am welcoming you into, Just like Zion bloomed with palm branches as Christ came in, my heart blooms with praises as Christ enters into my heart and my life. Okay, so there is a. This is and this is not a uh, rational thing; it's a poetic thing. So Zion becomes me. Okay, the city. I become a little picture of the city of God. Because just as Christ entered Jerusalem, so also he enters into me and my life by faith. He entered Zion on a donkey. He enters my heart by his word and he is received by faith and praise. Okay? Right? You see how that's working? Okay. All right. All right. Okay, so this is this those two stanzas verses lay out kind of the basic. All the all of this is in those first two stanzas. Okay. Now, are there any questions now about? The, I mean, this is and this lays out really what Advent is all about too. yeah 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 and that that uh, waving branches and stuff is a pretty um, that's a kind of a what do I want to say a pretty common way to greet important people coming into your city kings or you know when you wanted to have I mean it's what they did when there was a parade you know yeah and I mean flags flags are probably even harder to get a hold of than palm branches right so you can't just walk down to uh, yeah you can't just walk down to the gas station these days and get a a 20 pack of American flags to wave you know so you, you pull some branches off a tree and I mean they're also using their coats and their and the palm branches to like create a pathway for him okay um, so it's a it it is they are they are receiving him and honoring him as their king, okay. Um, and I just want to want you to notice briefly too, in holy communion, right? Right before we uh, pray the Lord's prayer and then there is the consecration, right? We sing these words of, of the people greeting Christ when he comes into the city. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Okay. So what we are saying is just as Christ came into Zion, into Jerusalem, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now he is about to ride into our midst in, with his body and blood in the bread and the wine. So, that's what we're, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord means, blessed is the one who is coming to us now in Holy Communion. It's not, the one who comes in the name of the Lord is not, in that case, the pastor. We're not saying, blessed is the pastor, look how nice he looks, right? We're saying, blessed is the one Christ who is coming to us now onto his altar and then into our into us with his Holy Communion and so um, yeah so that's and that makes sense Yeah, blessed is, I mean, we, we, um, let's see, blessing is a, a, to be blessed is a complicated, a much more comp. it's a, okay, we bless God all the time, right? That is, we, to bless means to, to bless God means to uh, confess him, to praise him, and to, like, put ourselves into a position to receive things from him. I mean, it, it basically means to praise him. It's more than that, but that's... Okay, and when God blesses us, it means that he forgives and justifies and... Um, I don't know, praises us and claims us as his children kind of thing, okay? So what we are saying, we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord... In scripture, that is applied in this story, that is applied to Jesus. So, blessed is the king who comes to us, who is coming in the Lord's name, okay? So, when we say that at Holy Communion, right before that, we are saying, Jesus is coming to us now, blessed is he, he is coming to us in the name of the Lord, and then the word Hosanna means, what does it mean? Hosanna means save us now, okay? So that's what the people are asking for when Jesus is riding into the city. They're saying, deliver us now from the oppression that we are under, okay? And they probably mean the oppression of the evil Romans and other kinds of oppression, too, that they are experiencing. We mean, deliver us now from our sins and give us life and salvation, like the Catechism says. So when we say Hosanna, we're saying, come to us. We bless you as you come to us. We're praying to you to give us forgiveness and life and salvation in your body and blood. Okay? So this little scene of Jesus riding into Jerusalem is like, is a scene that we reenact, so to speak. I don't know if we really reenact it, but we participate in it many, many times in church. Uh, On the first Sunday of Advent, here we are singing in this hymn, just as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, so also we welcome him into our hearts. Uh, we 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 look forward to when we will welcome him when he comes again, Every Sunday, we welcome him as he comes to us and pray to him as he comes to us in Holy Communion. And then uh, on Palm Sunday, you know, we actually sometimes have palms and we are greeting him as he comes to die for our sins. Okay, so this, this is, you know, this is a, this Jesus riding into Jerusalem is a big deal for how we do church. Okay. All right, so um, I'm going to, are there any other questions or thoughts? I'm going to move on with the hymn. I don't want to, okay. Um, it says, uh, verse 3, I lay in fetters groaning. That's, you know, I, fetters are chains, like handcuffs, right? That you're chained, what they would chain to the wall, okay? So I, you came to set me free. I stood my shame bemoaning. You came to honor me. So you see there that there's um, two... Uh, so we are, we are enslaved to and under the power of darkness, and Christ comes to set us free. We are under our own shame, and regret, and guilt, and sin, and he comes, instead of to shame us, he comes to honor us, okay? So there's two, that's another, that's, that's more, that's more that, it's more that poetry, Hmm? okay? There's two contrasts. We're in chains, he comes to free us. We are in dishonor, he comes to honor us, okay? And um, a glorious crown you give me, Okay. Remember, we're greeting Jesus as He comes in to be our King, and yet He says, it "says here He gives us a crown, a treasure safe on high." That's uh, it, you know, the especially Jesus, but other places too in the New Testament talk about heavenly treasure. Okay. The inheritance that we have that's waiting for us, and. Uh, in the, in the life of the world to come. Okay? So Jesus comes to give us that, and that treasure will not fail or leave as earthly riches fly, because, you know, you can't, uh, it's better, I mean, when the Bible, when Jesus talks about money, he actually talks about it in a very, you know, we want to be smart about our investments, right? We want That's something that that people are concerned about. Making smart investments. Okay. Am I going to invest in this or that? Which one will give me better dividends? You know, which one will be a better long-term, which one will help me build wealth long-term? And Jesus says, yeah, that's that's how people think. Okay. So here's what you should actually do, is you should actually invest in something that is going to pay you eternal dividends. Okay. So, I mean, the the way Jesus talks about money in the Bible is very, like, be smart with your money and invest your money in something that is going to return to you eternally an eternal treasure. Which, when Jesus talks about it, usually means giving away a lot of your earthly treasure so that you can, and using it to secure your eternal treasure, right? Right? Yeah. 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 That's true. Yep. yep. Yeah, and that's the comparison that's being made here that all of our earthly treasure can leave us very quickly if we, you know, w- there's this uh I'm not I'm only kind of kind of following it, but there's this story of this guy who who lost, like, billions of dollars recently? Yeah, the crypto guy. The crypto guy who, I don't know, it was some kind of scam, but tons of people, including Tom Brady, lost a bunch of money. Okay? Right? Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? You following that story? Yeah. 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 So this is the kind of thing that, I mean, this is, Jesus would would talk about things like this when he was talking to people. And he would say, look, look at all these people invested in this thing. And they thought that they were building wealth for themselves in the long term, but it went away very quickly. So you be smart and you invest everything you have in a investment that is going to pay out, that is guaranteed to pay out dividends forever, right? That's the idea of the heavenly treasure, that it's, that it's always going to be there, and no matter what you lose or what you sacrifice for that treasure now, you will be repaid in, you know, because it is kind of a sacrifice. I mean, to be, and not maybe as much as it used to be at times, but it is kind of a sacrifice to be a Christian and to be a faithful Like, you do put money in the plate at church, money that you could spend on candy bars or something, right? Or, uh, you know, a nice dinner, okay? You do give up things on a regular basis. You give up your time, you give up your energy. Some people give an awful lot so that the church can continue and so that you can continue to hear Jesus' word, okay? And Jesus, the idea of the heavenly treasure is that this is not, this is not a dumb investment of time and, and energy and money that you're making. This will repay you for everything, okay? Now, we don't want to get, obviously, the idea that it's not, you're not literally paying in, but you are sacrificing, okay? And Jesus wants to reassure you that sacrifice is not in vain, okay? What you're getting out of that sacrifice is so much more than what you're actually putting in, even if it means giving up your whole life. Okay, anyway. Um, any questions, any thoughts? I don't want st- to, I'm going um, to go through the next two verses pretty quickly because they're pretty, um, I want to spend some time on the last one, stanza six. So, love caused your incarnation, love brought you down to me. See, we've moved from, now we're talking about what happens at Christmas. That's That's the revelation of the incarnation, when God became flesh, okay? He actually became flesh within the virgin mary but at christmas is when that was revealed to the world okay so now all of a sudden this song is a little bit about christmas your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty oh love beyond all telling that led you to embrace in love all love excelling our lost and fallen race so that's kind of a nice little Right, because we often, when you see the Christmas stuff, like it's usually a picture of, like, you know, there's baby Jesus and Mary is embracing baby Jesus. Right? This is saying, actually, what's happening is in Jesus, the Lord is embracing the world. He's embracing humanity. So, you know, we get maybe a little sentimental on Christmas about. Happy birthday, baby Jesus! You know, and but actually, what's happening is it's not just the birthday for a cute kid. It's actually God embracing the human race. Okay. Um, Sins, debt, that fearful burden cannot His love erase. Your guilt, the Lord will pardon and cover by His grace. He comes. Now, right here, remember what I said. Forget about Palm Sunday and the Passion of the Christ right now. Okay, I'm going to take that back because that's, he's, he's sneaking that in here too. So it says, he comes, that is, as he's coming into his city on the first Sunday of Advent, okay? Uh, he comes for you procuring the peace of sin forgiven. That is, he is coming, he is coming into his city Not just to be the king, but to be the king who dies for his city. Okay? So procuring the peace of sin forgiven. Procuring means to, it's a fancy word for get. Okay? He's coming to get forgiveness of sins for you. Okay? So he's riding into Jerusalem to get some forgiveness for you by his death and resurrection. Okay? His children, thus securing eternal life in heaven. Okay, so those are any questions about verses four and five? Because I want to move on to verse six, but I want to make sure that verses four and five are. Okay, one thing about the first, uh, the first line of verse four Love caused your incarnation, love brought you down to me. If you think about the Nicene Creed, for us and for our self, for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. So those two lines are kind of picking up on that phrase from the Creed. And then it's not, it's making the for us about for me. Okay? So in the creed we say. For us and for our salvation. Here in this hymn, we're saying, for me. Okay? Love, so, love, your love brought you down to me. Okay? Okay. All right. Let's look at, this is another very important Advent passage. Malachi chapter 4 in the Bible. It's... It is the last words of the Old Testament as we have the Old Testament arranged currently in our. Yes, Malachi chapter 4. There it is. Right at the very end of the Old Testament. Okay, so here we go. Malachi chapter 4. I'm going to actually read the whole chapter because it's, it's pretty short and uh, it's important. For behold, the day is coming. So there's your Advent theme. It's coming. Burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That means that it burns the whole tree all the way down to the root, okay? Um, That means you have neither descendants, those are your branches, nor ancestors, those are your roots, right? It's going to burn down to nothing. No one will remember them. But for you who fear my name, so there's a contrast. So evildoers, this coming day is going to be real bad. But for you who fear my name, this same day, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. It will be a day of glorious, a glorious sunrise and a day of healing. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And I don't, I mean, I think I've seen that once. Like when you let the calf out, he just goes nuts and just like bouncing around, you know. Like that's going to be you on that day. You're going to be like, crazy young. So, you know, everybody, you know, get ready, do some calisthenics, right? Get your joints working again, because it's going to be, it's going to be a day. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be like ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so, which sounds kind of negative, like, well, I don't really want to smash people down and evil people down. You know, I just let them, but you know, there is a, I mean, in the world and in our own lives, we actually sometimes do experience like gross injustices where evil tramples on good. Okay. And if God, if we actually say God is just, at some point, he has to deal with that, okay? And so this is what he's saying, is he's saying the righteous who have been trampled on for basically the whole history of the world, that that whole situation, and have been trampled on and oppressed, that whole situation will be reversed. and And God will make sure that every, that, you know, it's not... The way we decide who is important is not the way God the way God decides. Okay, so the righteous will be actually rewarded, and the unrighteous will be, act will actually receive, what they have earned. Okay. Um, then he goes on to say. So we're looking forward to this coming day. Malachi says. So he says, as we are looking forward to this coming day, remember. In the past, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Okay, so the day of the Lord is coming. Before he comes, Elijah is coming. And I will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, or he will lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, so it says there's this day coming. This day is going to be terrifying for God's enemies. It's going to be a day of renewal and hope and bouncing around like calves and healing for those who are his righteous, his people. Before that day comes, God is going to send a messenger what that messenger is going to do is he is going to get people ready. And the image of the, the idea of the fathers and the sons being reconciled is, you know, an image of peace and harmony in the people, you know, through reconciliation, the forgiveness of their sins. And this is to get people ready so that when the Lord comes, it won't be a day of complete destruction. Okay. So now how does this? Okay. Who is the Elijah who, is, who comes before the Lord? Right, that that th- this right here that's talking about Elijah coming is a direct prophecy of John the Baptist coming before Jesus. Okay, which is why John the Baptist shows up so much during Advent. That is, before we celebrate the Lord's coming at Christmas, we actually have to hear John the Baptist's message of repentance. And, you know, sort of, you know, I mean, we're all trying to get ready for Christmas and we're thinking about how many presents we've got to buy and how much food we've got to make and how many decorations we've got to put up. And the, are we going to buy a real tree this year? Are we going to break down and just buy the fake one? You know, all of these vexing questions that we have to answer before Christmas. And John the Baptist comes along and says, that's not the most important way that you prepare for the Lord's coming. Okay. The way you prepare for the Lord's coming is repentance, okay? Um, Now, in the hymn, verse, the last stanza, stanza 6, is basically going off of this Malachi chapter 4. So it says, He comes to judge the nations, right? So His coming is, yes, it is at Christmas. It is coming into my heart but it is also coming at the end. He comes to judge the nations, a terror to his foes. Okay, so that's his enemies. He's a terror to his enemies. A light of consolation and blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. Okay, so there's that contrast. When he comes, he comes and it's terrifying to his enemies and it's consoling to those who have who have loved him. And then it says, O glorious son. Okay, look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Um, so he comes, a glorious sun now come, send forth your beams, so cheering. And guide us safely home. Okay, so do you see how in that last stanza, that's basically a that's that's basically some poetry about Malachi chapter four. And you understand that that those that's the idea that's being expressed there. That that just like Malachi said, uh, he'll come as the son of righteousness. So we're saying here. Come, glorious sun, and sh- with your light show us the way home. Okay? Um any questions? Thoughts? You pick up what it shows the sleeping up on the cab. They leave them They're after they get the first straw Yeah. That line there, too, from Malachi chapter 4, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Does that call to mind any other favorite hymns? Come not in terrors as the king of kings, but kind and good with healing in thy wings. What is that? That's a that's abide with me, right? Right. Okay. Um, so we got through. We have about ten minutes left. We got through one. I actually have three today that I was going to go through, but. Um, Let's, g- mm-hmm. let's let's look at w- let's do f- just for 10 minutes let's look at uh hymn 332 All right, so hymn 332 is, um, if you look at the bottom, at the, you know, who the author is and stuff, um, you'll see that this is actually very complicated, okay? Um, This hymn, Savior of the Nations Come, was actually written by somebody originally, uh, by somebody who died in the year 397. A.D. 397, okay? So this hymn was actually written within 400 years of Jesus' birth, okay? Um, it was it, written by a guy who um, is usually called St. Ambrose of Milan. That's in Italy, so that's Roman, Okay, so this and this guy is um you know this is one of those we talked when we're talking about the augsburg confession we talked a little bit about church fathers right other people before martin luther who amazingly also believed and taught christianity (laughs) so what didn't we didn't just go from the bible straight to 1500 years of just nothing then to martin luther that's not exactly how it worked You do also notice here though that Martin Luther, Martin Luther, this hymn was actually first written in Latin because that was the language that everybody spoke back in 397 in Italy. Martin Luther translated this hymn into German. Okay? So this becomes one of Luther's most important advents. Christmas kind of hymns, okay? So he takes this traditional, very, very old hymn. He takes the traditional hymn. He translates it and kind of, it's not exactly, it's a, it's more of a German version of it than it is like an exact translation. It's, there's some things that he changes around. Um, and then we have it, um, and you'll notice that there's about, it looks like there's one, two, three, four different people who translated different stanzas into English at different times. So so there you go. Parts of it were translated in the 1800s. Parts of it were translated in the 1900s. Parts of it have been translated in the 2000s. Okay. Um, So this hymn is, this is a All right, let's, I've got just a couple minutes, I'm just going to walk us through it, okay? So, Savior of the nations come, virgin son, make here your home. Okay, so that's saying, so Savior of the nations come, that is really a kind of end times idea, right? Christ comes at the end to be the Savior of all nations, okay? And then, Virgin Son, make here your home. So come to us now. Come to your people now. Come into our hearts. Come into our congregation. Come to us in Holy Communion. Okay. Uh, Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. So then that's jumping back to Christmas. Okay. So you see how right there, the whole idea of Christ coming is this. Savior of the nations, come, come to us now. He came to us at Christmas. So it's like all of these ideas wrapped into one. Okay, Not by human flesh and blood, by the spirit of our God, was the word of God made flesh, woman's offspring, pure and fresh. And that, that pure and fresh, that's, they just put that in there to rhyme with flesh. I don't, I don't know why. It, fresh is kind of a odd it's kind of an odd word to use for Christmas like look at the fresh little baby (laughs) but um, but that comes obviously from the Gospel of John chapter 1 like we saw okay Um, he was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary the word became flesh and dwelt among us not by human flesh and blood means that he did not have a human father Okay, and woman's offspring is, in in the Bible, everybody is their father's offspring. Okay, like if you go through, it says, this guy begat that guy begat that guy. And then it also sometimes says, and that was his mother. So it's always, you know, it's always the, the line of the fathers that's the important line. Okay, and yet... When Jesus is born, it says it's the woman's offspring. Okay? Like, and then it's like it says in Genesis 3, uh, God says, um, How does it go? Okay, that the, um, to Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. So what I'm getting at is the idea that the woman's, Offspring is from the contents of the Bible a very rare and strange thing to point out that this child is descended from this woman because usually it's descended from your father. Okay, so what this is saying by saying woman's offspring is underlining you know that he does not have a human father and. So he's he's he okay. Here a maid was found with child, yet remained a virgin mild. Now this is a this is a interesting line. In her womb this truth was shown, God was there upon His throne. So um, is Mary the mother of God? Right? Yeah. And that's something that a lot of our other non-Catholic Christian friends sometimes have a hard time saying. They want to say, well, you can't really be the mother of God. You can only be the mother, you know, but we definitely say she's the mother of God because she's the mother of Jesus and Jesus is God. And even as what, th- what this is emphasizing is even as Jesus is inside Mary, you know, growing, he is still the God who is ruling the whole universe. So, so and you will see this sometimes in, in old Christian art. We don't do this much now because we're really into hyper-realistic and sentimental kind of stuff. But old, older Christian art had a lot of symbolism in it. And you will see pictures of older Christian art that has it looks like, like it has a picture of Mary and then it has like a picture of a little man sitting on a throne inside of her, symbolizing that God is reigning on his throne within the mother of God. Yeah, I mean, it's, sti- it, it's still, it's still, uh, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's a, it, it's a very old idea, an old symbol that, has kind of, I don't know, Americans are a little leery about that, but here it is, right here in Martin Luther's hymn. So if you wanted to have that, you could totally. What's that? That song, Mary, did you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that song, Mary, did you know? I mean, it's a pretty song, but the answer is yes. Like one hundred percent she knew exactly what was going on, so <laughs> which is always kind of i mean it's it's a it's a pretty song, but well, it's kind of like how about we you know Mary sings a song about what she knew that we sing at Vespers, right that's Mary's song, so she knew exactly what was going on right um, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. So she was not, like, in the dark about what was going on. Mostly because the angel said he's the son of God, you know. So she knew exactly what was going on. Um, So, then stepped forth the Lord of all from his pure and kingly hall. God of God, yet fully man, his heroic course began. So, stepping forth from his, the Lord of all from his pure and kingly hall, that is talking about the birth of Jesus. The Lord is, and it's calling Mary the pure and kingly hall, like, you know, so the king is coming out of his throne room into the world. That's the birth of Jesus, okay? And then um, God the Father was his source, back to God he ran his course, into hell his road went down, back then to his throne and crown. So it's kind of it's going over the journey that Jesus is going on, and if we if people want to stay for a minute afterwards, I can there's something about that verse that's kind of interesting. but you are the Father's Son, who, in flesh the victory won, by your mighty power make whole all our ills of flesh and soul. Now notice here in those two verses, we're telling the whole story of the life of Jesus and then saying. We're talking to him. The fa- you're the father's son. You're the one who has died and risen. You're the one who is seated at God's right hand. Okay, so it's like we go... Okay, so... When we're, and then in verse 7, we jump back to Christmas. So this hymn really jumps around. Okay, it says, Savior of the nations, come at the end of the world. Come now. And then we go through the whole story of Jesus... And then it says, now we're back to Christmas, okay? From the manger, newborn light shines in glory through the night. Darkness there no more resides. In this light, faith now abides. And one thing to notice as we're going through Advent, Christmas, and then into Epiphany, how much the theme of light And darkness shows up okay and there's reasons for that one reason is it's in the Bible there's a lot about light and darkness in the Bible and one of the reasons that it gets so attached to this time of year why do you think it gets attached to this time of year yeah yeah Also because it's really dark during this time of year. Okay? Yeah, dark and cold. And so, <laughs> that the darkness and the coldness that we experience in nature kind of inspires us to think about Jesus being the light of the world, especially. Um, yeah, especially cold here. But, but the end, you know, so... Um, one thing I do want to look at one thing uh, that's kind of interesting. So this, I'm sorry. If you have to go, you got to go. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so it says in in verse five, God the Father was his source. Back to God he ran his course. Into hell his road went down. Back then to his throne and crown. So that is. I just want to. I have to look this up here in this, in this book. Um, this has these. So, by the way, in TLH, this hymn is actually a Christmas hymn. And in, I think that's right. Let me just check here. Remember TLH, the good old, the Lutheran hymnal? Not just a Lutheran hymnal, but the Lutheran hymnal. Hold on, I'm gonna find it here real quick. Yeah, you have to listen to it. Bye, Veronica. Um, yes, in. The... I should have marked this. I apologize. If anybody has to go, here it. Is. Yeah, number ninety-five. Okay. So it's an it's the re. So this kind of. Um. There are some hymns that are obviously for Christmas, like O Little Town of Bethlehem, okay? And there are some hymns that are obviously for Advent, like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, okay? Um, Other hymns, it's kind of like they can kind of go either way. Like this one says, Savior of the Nations, come. That makes it kind of an Advent hymn. But then it talks an awful lot about the birth of Jesus, and it ends with the birth of Jesus, so that's kind of a Christmas thing. So, you know, there is this little, some people get real sensitive about, well, we can't sing Christmas hymns during Advent. And there are some hymns that it doesn't really make sense to sing in Advent, like, "Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, that's a very Christmas hymn. yeah but there are but there are there are yeah and the reason but there is a lot of a lot of going there's a lot of hymns that kind of could go either way yeah so um, I where is this Um, I want to this stanza five God the Father was his source back to God he ran his course Into hell his road went down, back then to his throne and crown. I'm going to give you, I want to give you um, a little taste of, so this is English poetry, and English poetry rhymes at the end. Okay, so we rhyme source and course, down and crown. Okay, so I'm just going to, and this is all extra credit here, we are past the time, so... If anybody wants to leave and not be interested in this, that's fine, but I'm gonna just write out for you what this looks like in Latin. You ready for some Latin today? This is the original from before 400, okay? It says, egressus eus a patre. Right, egressus is, you know, if you're going to build, if you're going to convert a room in your basement to a bedroom, you've got to have an egress window, a window that you can go out from. So, he, w- went, he went out from the father, okay, regressus eus, that's he, ad patrim. Okay. He went out from the father, he regressed to the father, right? And then, um, ex, ex usque ad inferos. Okay. So he excursus like excursion, like the vehicle. Is it a Chevy? Who makes the excursion? Ford. So excursion, he had an excursion to inferos, like the infernal, the fire, right? And then um, it says re cursus ad sedum dei. So sedum is seat, okay? chair, throne. Okay? So he went out He went out on a journey that went down into the infernal places and he had a recourse re back to God's seat. So then you can kind of see how in English we can't, we can't really, and you see how in the beginning it's egressus, regressus, excursus, recursus. So that's how the Latin poetry works, okay? And in English, we rhyme things at the end, so we changed it around, but we basically got the basic idea. So, instead of saying, he went out from the Father, we said, God the Father was his source. And instead of saying, he returned to the Father, we said, back to God he ran his course. And instead of saying, and then we say, into hell his road went down, back then to his throne and crown, crown isn't actually in the Latin, but we put in crown because it makes sense with the idea and it rhymes with down. So, okay, see how that works? Okay.